I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would enlighten our minds and our hearts this day to receive your word, to understand, to obey, and for it to have fruitfulness in our lives that we might be a faithful people. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is the second in our new series looking at Ephesians and drawing from that what God might be saying to us as uh, a big family, a community belonging to Jesus Christ. So here we have our logo for the series and the new strapline, A Faithful Family. Last week, Mike spoke to us about being a blessed family the amazing blessings we share in Jesus Christ. As God's children, the blessings of forgiveness, of being chosen, of being redeemed, of being lavished with God's grace, which is so amazing, and of being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we are a truly a blessed people. Today we're looking at the title that I've been given is A Faithful People, which I interpret as being a people full of faith. And if we look at uh, this people, where they were in Ephesus, Paul thanks God for them, for their faith in the Lord Jesus, and for their love for all God's people. A model community full of faith and love. Now, what was Ephesus like? How many of you have been to Ephesus? Yeah, wow. Good number. So you'll remember these pictures. As you start at the top and you walk down this main street, and on either side there are shops, there are public buildings, and then a bit further back there are the houses where people live. So this is the main sort of street you go down, and when you get to the bottom, you see the library. Isn't that an amazing building? And that just reminds us that while it was a sort of thriving community, it was also a cultured community. They had a big library. And uh, so they, they were a cultured people uh, and artistic and um, educated. And then uh, if you go turn right at the library and you go down there, you come to the theatre. 
And this is from the other side of it, a view of the theatre, so we'd have entered from the far corner there. And you see this theatre, which is uh, the theatre where the riot happened. Do you remember in the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the riot, because some business people had lost their income, a lot of it, because the person on whom they depended had been converted and come to Jesus and was no longer doing what uh, they wanted her to do. And so there was a big riot for the business people because Paul had been there for some two years by then, and so the Christian community had grown up. And um, they all cried out there, didn't they? Great is Diana of the Ephesians, as it says in the AV, Artemis, great is, uh, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And uh, not so far away, you can see the remains of the huge temple of Artemis. It's really like a great rectangle in stone, really, so it's not not like the Parthenon, it would have been, but it's not like the Parthenon, it's just the foundations that you can see of the massive temple to Artemis. So is the cult of the goddess Artemis. And uh, the theatre held 24,000 people, which is huge, isn't it? And uh, the uh, next slide shows you, if you come from this side of the theatre, you come out into a sort of big marketplace type square. You can get the sort of picture of a bit of that with these colonnades going around. And there would have probably been shops and businesses and so on. And some people think that it's just in one of those sort of uh, places uh, off the main square there that Paul had his tent making business. So he might have lived somewhere else in Ephesus and then had his tent making where the bustle of the marketplace was. And uh, so it was quite near the theatre. So this is just to give you, for those of you who haven't been there, and to remind those of you who have, of some of the wonderful uh, things that you can see that remind us of the kind of place where this Christian community was uh, being established. And in Ephesus, Paul was there for two years from AD 50 to 52, and the letter that he wrote to them that we're reading now was written sometime later, about AD 60, from Rome when he was in prison. So eventually he got to Rome, as you know from the Acts of the Apostles, and from there, in prison there, he wrote to a number of churches, including the church in Ephesus. And clearly, during that time, not only had he got to know the people of Ephesus very well during his two years, but in the following years, he would have heard reports of as to how they were getting on. And so, he, um, he writes to them, and what he says here is all a prayer. This part of the letter is all a prayer. And he begins by giving thanks for them. He says here, I thank you, the next slide, uh, that you are a community with faith in Jesus and love for all God's people. He says, I thank, I, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. So thankfulness for this relationship they have with Jesus and with each other, being a people who are faithful in that way. Reminds us, doesn't it, of loving God, loving one another and making a difference, doesn't it? Here were people who were doing just that. And then he ends the prayer also by reminding them that they are the body of Christ, the body of Christ who is head of the church. So as he, as we shall see, goes through uh, the rest of the prayer and lands up with piling phrase upon phrase about the exaltation of Jesus and how amazing he is, and he says, actually, and Jesus is the head of the church. God's made him to be head of the church. 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So there's a kind of inclusio, a beginning and an end to this prayer, which is all about them being people of God, a community of faith, a faithful people. All about that relationship. And that picture of the body is something that comes up later and is developed further in this letter, as we shall see as we move on. I want you to notice, too, that this prayer is not just a one-off. Next slide. He's, it's full of unceasing thanks and prayer. He says, ever since I heard, I've not stopped giving thanks, and I keep asking the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the things that we're going to look at. So I just want you to notice, in passing, really, that his prayer is not just a one-off. It's something he keeps on coming back to. So there's no harm in repeating what we do in our prayers. It's actually continuing in prayer. It's actually persevering in prayer, which maybe as we go on you'll see how in some uh, areas of life that is so important and um, sometimes can be quite frustrating if we think our prayers are not being answered and yet we continue to pray. So here they are, a faithful people full of faith and love. So, as we just pause there, how do we think about St. Saviour's? Just to ask the question, are we a people full of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we a people full of love for all the saints, for all God's people? It's just a, a, a really good health check, isn't it? Just to think about that. And as we go on, we shall see some of what that means. So here they are, a faithful people. And just as prayed, Paul prayed for them, so we, as a faithful family, can and do pray for one another. As uh, Les led us, so as we prayed for the world and prayed for one another, such beautiful prayers that Les brought to us. But we might say, well, look, if they're so full of faith and so full of love, do they really need prayers? What do they need prayers for? And what we have here in in the prayers, in the prayer that Paul offers for them, we have, as it were, a model for our praying for one another and for people around and for the world. And there are three key words which are, in a way, there the Paul's requests for their spiritual growth as individuals and in their community. So there are three key words I want to leave with you for this week ahead. Here they come. The first one is wisdom to know him. This is what Paul says in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now isn't wisdom something that we all need? We all have. As you think about the week or the month or the year ahead, we all have decisions to make about all sorts of things. We need God's guidance and we need God's wisdom and the revelation, the enlightenment that he can give us, that the Holy Spirit, you notice the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit will give us to open our eyes, our minds, to see what is right and what we should do. And especially that you may know God better especially that you may know God better. Now that includes 
knowledge, intellectual knowledge, and teaching about God, but it is not just that. It is far more than that. It is about the importance that, that, as we never stop learning, of knowing God and knowing his will and purpose for each one of us. So as we think about wisdom, and it's about knowing God's wisdom and guidance and knowing God better so that as we go through our lives and we have these decisions to make, whatever they may be for you, you do them in the light of the knowledge of God and what his will is and what is good and pleasing in his sight. So you may need wisdom about a decision that is short term, maybe this week, tomorrow, today. Or it may be longer term, something about the direction of your life, or where you should live, or whatever it may be. The Holy Spirit will guide you as you pray. Paul prayed for them, and as we pray for ourselves and for our others, the Holy Spirit will guide us by Scripture, by people, as people speak to us maybe, and give us a word from God, by circumstances, things that just happen that God brings into our lives, and through, above all, the peace of God which passes all understanding. And when we have the peace of God and a clear conscience before God, that is, the peace of God is a great arbiter, a great sort of decider, if you like, between different courses of action. Which is the action, which is the decision that brings most of all a sense of God's peace into our lives. So these are four key things about knowing God's wisdom in our lives. Scripture, other people, circumstances, and the peace of God. Here they are then, a faithful people, but needing wisdom. Isn't that true for each one of us? We might think, yes, we're, we have faith in Jesus, we have love for people, we still need God's wisdom. And so I encourage us this morning that we might spend time praying for wisdom like that, for ourselves and for others we know who are looking for God's guidance just now. That's the first word then, is wisdom. The second of our three words coming up on the screen is the word hope. Paul says here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Don't we need hope today in the 21st century? There's a lot of depression around and a loss of hope. And we too sometimes experience that, don't we? When life is hard, when circumstances seem to conspire against us, whether it's in work or family or health or loneliness. And maybe hope suffers when that happens to us. And maybe as we look out on the world, there's a lot actually that is quite depressing really, isn't there? We can get depressed about the abuse of children, the slavery, the abuse of women, the poverty, refugees, Syria and the civil wars that are going on and the unrest, the persecution of Christians, we could go on and on and on which I don't need to do. So what hope is there when we look around us? The psalmist says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. Jesus is on the throne, as Paul reminds us in this letter in a moment. 
and God is in control and he works in our lives to give us hope. That is, certainty about the future. And that's Paul's prayer here, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You see, the hope that we have as Christians is not just that things might get better or something might happen that's good. It is about what happens to us over time, that we're held by God through whatever we're going through, and we have a glorious inheritance ahead of us when we're called to go through the portals of death into a new dawn and a new way. And you know, the Apostle Peter says almost exactly the same thing. I'm going to read you this bit because it's so, such a brilliant part of his letter in the first chapter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just what Paul was saying in Ephesians. Peter saying the same. And into, same word here, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, and here's the realism, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you see that? So we have a glorious hope to hold on to that is beyond anything that this life offers. The word hope. A sure and certain hope. So the prayer of Paul is that the eyes of their heart, their inner eyes, our inner being, those inner eyes might be enlightened to grasp this hope and the inheritance. This is part of being a people full of faith, a faithful people. And here they are, full of faith, but they still need hope. So we might say, yes, we're full of faith, maybe, but we still need hope. And this encourages us, as Paul did, to pray with faith as a faithful people, to pray for hope like that for ourselves, when we might feel depressed about something or despairing, to pray that God will bring us hope, and for others who need their spirits lifted with hope. So we have wisdom and hope, and now we come to our third word, that they still need, even though they're commended for their faith and their love, what else do they need? Power, energy, might, and strength. Do you know what? Paul just piles on the words here. I'm going to give you my own literal translation of this verse. It runs like this. That you may know the exceeding greatness of his power according to the energy of the might of his strength, which he energized in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Get it? One word after another. All these words. And don't we often need strength and energy? As we get older, we need strength and energy, don't we? Have less of it sometimes. And we sometimes just feel weak and powerless, perhaps, in the face of something around us or ahead of us. We might feel very weak and powerless. 
or we have some temptation or weakness or selfishness in ourselves or fears about witnessing to our faith or fears about something in the future and we long for the strength and the power to overcome that. I mean, we are facing at the moment in our own family with one of our lads an issue that could easily make us feel, well, it does make us feel completely powerless in the hands of uh, a tribunal that we have to go to for uh, benefits for our son who's not well for an appeal. And we feel utterly powerless. Now, Paul is praying for the people of God that they might have the power, the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we know that as Easter people, we have the risen Christ in us by the Holy Spirit, don't we? To overcome. And that's the power that is available to us. And that leads Paul through to a great doxology, which we may have time to come to in a moment. He gets totally carried away once he thinks of God's power raising Jesus from the dead and setting above all every name that is named and every power, and he fills the fullness of everything. It's an amazing doxology. But that same power of the risen Christ that fills Paul with such a spirit of worship is available to us. You know, just imagine you're driving a car and um, you're beginning to go up a hill and suddenly the engine peters out. And you think, oh, what can I do? Apart from call the AA or whatever. And there's nothing you can do. You know, the, the hill, the uphill struggle in front of you, you can't cope with, nothing you can do about it. You feel weak and powerless. And then the AA woman comes along, would be probably a woman these days, wouldn't it? And they set it right and the engine bursts into life, and you can go up the hill, because that car has got an inner power, a new power, resurrected. And that's like us. We have the risen power of Christ in us to help us go up the hills of life with power and strength. And Paul's prayer is for the Ephesians. Even though they have faith in Jesus and love for all the saints, which they're commended, I want you to have that same power in your lives when you face weakness. And so it's true for us, isn't it, that we can pray for ourselves and for others we know who need energy, power, and strength. So as he thanks God for their faith and love, he prays for wisdom, hope, and power. And all this fullness is in Jesus Christ. That's how he ends. He comes to this doxology. He says, He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's all in Christ, who is supremely on the throne. So God calls us to be a faithful, a people full of faith like that, and yet still needing to pray for ourselves and to, for others and for others to pray for us. Praying as Paul did for them, for wisdom, for hope, for power in our pods, in our life groups, 
at home, husbands and wives together, friends together when you meet, to pray for wisdom, hope, and power. Right? Let's just say these words together. What are they that you're going to take into this week? Wisdom, hope, power. Remember those.